Thanks be to God. Well, thank you all for your, for your readings, and we'll turn now to uh, to the word, to the message. Um, and uh, so, I'd just like to open our time in prayer now as we look at um, these ancient words and what they what words of life they can speak to us. Lord, we're looking at uh, this passage today, and I just pray that you'd speak to us from it, from good examples of those who have. Uh, come before, and from negative examples of those who have come before. And I pray that we can, we can learn some wisdom and that we can have some fun with this. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, uh, we're going through Philippians. I think everybody's caught that message. We're, we're moving our way through. Um, I thought we were going to do all the rest of chapter 1 today, uh, but uh, it, was, it was too much, and so it's better to try and to get bite-sized chunks rather than trying to force it all in. And uh, today's message is this strange sort of a message that I was not expecting. Uh, it's the sort of topic I wouldn't have chosen. Uh, the, the title of the sermon is Let- Lessons from Petty Pastors. Petty meaning mean-spirited, small-minded, immature people who are pastors. It's nothing that I would have chosen. I, did not, I would not have woken up one morning and said, this is what we need to preach on. But this is, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, and uh, he is guiding us to, to have a look at this interesting topic. So we're going to look at how Paul is structuring this first, we'll look at some structural things, and then we'll get into the heart of this, and then we're going to see what, how this speaks to us in our personal lives and in our hearts. So verse 12 starts off, now I want you to know, brethren... And so this is a bit of a formal uh, phrase that signals the readers that Paul is transitioning from his introduction to kind of the heart of his message. Because this was a correspondence in which he was trying to communicate information. They had given him a gift. And uh, so he writes, uh, you know, hi, this is Paul, how's it going? Uh, And he expands his introduction far larger than it was normal. He adds a lot of theology in there, as we saw last week. And now he's switching to, now I'm giving you personal information. Now I want you to know. And so an, another letter from that sort of time might have been, I want you to know that I'm healthy or I want you to know that you know, the, the battle is progressing well or something like that. What does he want them to know? I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ <clears throat> has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And in verse, skipping some stuff, verse 19, I I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So the information that he's communicating is, I'm still in prison, but I'm doing good. The gospel's being preached, and I'm hoping and praying to get out soon so that I can preach the gospel more. So this is kind of the, this is what he's trying to say. But in between, there's all this other stuff that he's adding. And this is a theme that we saw you know, last week again, that he has these conventions that he's using. There's, a, there's kind of a standard format, um, sincerely yours, dear so-and-so, that he's using, but he's expanding it to fill it in with the theology he, that he wants to use. And the ways that he changes conventions are very significant. So we, we meet these really strange people. We, we, we meet these, these people who are preaching the gospel from envy and strife, um, from selfish ambition, from selfish, uh, from impure motives, and in pretense. 
So if you read over that real quick, you might think, well, these are the bad guys. These are the, the false teachers. These are, these are not Christians that are preaching this message. But if you look a little bit closer, you realize, no, actually, these are people preaching the gospel. In fact, he says twice in verse 15 and verse 18, these people preach Christ. And then he says, I rejoice that these people are preaching Christ. So these aren't the bad guys. In, uh, in uh, chapter 3, verse 2, he's going to say, beware of dogs, beware of the false teachers. He uses very harsh language to speak about false teachers because he's very passionate about uh, the gospel and the fact that the gospel can be taught the wrong way, can be distorted. And he is very passionate about false teachers. Um, as Jesus was, and as every writer of the New Testament has something to say about false teachers or false prophets. But this isn't what he's saying. He's saying their message is good, just there's something not quite right about their heart. And so, and it's not only negative, he also says there's some people that have a really great way of teaching, that they are preaching from goodwill, out of love, in truth, knowing that, God, that Paul has been appointed for, to defend the gospel. So there's these two different types of people that Paul is describing. And it works very well. It's, it, they line up exactly if we chart it out as healthy, the healthy preachers are preaching from goodwill, the petty pastors are preaching from envy and strife. The healthy pastors are preaching out of love. The petty pastors are preaching out of selfish ambition. The healthy pastors are preaching in truth. The selfish pastors or petty pastors are preaching in pretense. The healthy ones know that Paul has been appointed to defend the gospel. And the petty ones think that they're going to cause Paul distress in his imprisonment. So what kind of people are this? This is weird, right? This is not what I was expecting. Perhaps not what you were expecting to read when you came to church. But we all know people like this, right? We all know petty people that are, we often call them immature, right? The reason we call them immature is because kids are like this. Almost all kids are almost, you know, it's the normal default mode for kids. That, um, you know, as you're getting ready in the morning and you're trying to get people in the car, they just have a meltdown because it's all about them. And they don't care about you and they don't care about their siblings necessarily. Of course, sometimes they do and it's very kind and Sometimes you see them caring, but often there's this immature attitude of me first, right? Honestly. Um, and most people grow out of this, but some people don't. And when you see this me first, only me, everything comes back to me attitude in a grown-up, it's kind of surprising and it kind of makes you think, well, that's childish because that's how kids act. It's normal for kids, but it's not normal for adults. Sometimes we call these sorts of people insecure because as we mature, most people learn to find their security in you know, their lifelong relationships, in their faith, in Christ, in, you know, their career, in, you know, just kind of finding that deep confidence in themselves that I'm a valuable person. And they stop all these petty little competitions, you know, you try and get the kids in the car, and me first, me first, I was there first, no, you weren't, you cheated, I did, you know, all this sort of stuff. You kind of expect that as, as people grow up, these things fall away, and they become more secure in themselves, right? And this this ends a lot of that competition, a lot of that strife, a lot of that noise. But sometimes people don't. Sometimes people struggle with this. And sometimes even the best of us have bad days. I need to mention that too. Um, but when we see this, we say, well, that person's kind of immature. Sometimes we might say this person is kind of narcissistic. Because everything seems to come back to them. 
the, the Narcissus flower, it's a flower in, in the Greece area that, that hangs over water. And so the, the saying was that the, the Narcissus flower is staring at itself at its own reflection. And, and there's a whole myth about, about that that I won't get into because it's not terribly relevant. But some people are kind of like that flower that are just staring at a mirror of themselves all the time. And you try and have a conversation about something else. Hey, good news, Paul is reaching lots of people for the gospel. Oh yeah, well I'm reaching lots of people for the gospel too. Oh, did you hear that Paul planted a new church in Corinth? Oh yeah, well, we planted a new church over here in Galatia. Oh, did you hear that Paul's in prison? Oh really, well I'm not in prison. You know, just everything goes back to you. Like, we weren't talking about you. We were talking about Paul. But everything somehow ends up about you. Sometimes we call this a narcissistic attitude. Um, somehow everything always ends up about them. But it's not this way for the healthy people. The healthy people are able to preach from goodwill. It says in 12.14 that there are some that know Paul is in prison and they're preaching from goodwill. Truly a sense of, I wish to bless you. I wish well on you, Paul. And part of how I'm going to do well for you is in preaching the gospel. So there's a genuine sense of doing well for others. There's this love, and the word here is agape. And as I'm sure most of you know, there's three words in Greek for love. There's philadelphos, which is brotherly, brotherly love. There's eros, which is romantic love. And there's agape, which is um, kind of the purest form of love, often the sort of love that a mother would have for its child, um, or for her child. So they have this other-centered love, where they care about Paul and they care about the gospel and they care about people getting saved. And that's their motivation. That's why they're preaching is for, from love. And this is something that Paul modeled at the, in the introduction that we saw. Paul didn't feel the need to say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He just said, hi, this is Paul. And, but he lifted them up and said to the deacons and overseers, he mentioned their titles, but he, he didn't feel the need to mention his own title. Um, as we're going to look at in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, uh, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. This is the attitude that, that some of these people really are modeling, that they care more about other people than they do about their own ministries or their, their own ambitions or their own, their own selves. These are people that care deeply about the gospel. It says, knowing... Paul says they're preaching because they know that I have been appointed to, to defend the gospel. That this is a message that is so important that it, it demands everything of us. And it, it draws everything out of these ministers to say, this has made all the difference in my life. And this is a message that is absolutely transformative of every person that it meets and transformative of the world. And I need to get out there and tell people about Jesus. There's no message bigger than this. There's no mission bigger than this. And there's no motivation bigger than this. Because if you really believe that Jesus saves and you love your neighbor, you're going to tell your neighbor that Jesus saves and that there's hope for them, right? Which leads to preaching the gospel in truth. These people are sharing the gospel because they believe it. Not because... It's some sort of a competition, not because they're motivated from the outside. It's because it comes from the inside, from sincerity. From sincerity, This is something that works for me. 
and I want to share it with you, which is basic human nature, right? If you find something that works for you, if you find a recipe that works, if you find a new technology that works, if you find a new app that works, you're going to want to share that with other people because you, you want to share the, the good news. And Jesus is something that works for us and we want to share that uh, with other people. And so there's these two groups of people. There's the healthy pastors that preach from goodwill, out of love, in truth, knowing that Paul has been appointed to defend the gospel. And then there's these petty pastors that are preaching from envy and strife, out of selfish ambition, in pretense, not really because they care about it, but just because they're competing in a silly sort of immature way. And they're thinking to cause Paul distress in his imprisonment. So let's see what we can learn from this. The first thing that we need to mention, or that, that we notice, that I notice anyways, is that this is really weird. Like this is, again, I, I mentioned this a few times, but I just, I find this passage very strange. Because usually you're used to, you know, the good guys are all good and the bad guys are all bad. But these are good guys that are kind of good, kind of bad. Because we would expect pastors to be the most godly, mature people around, right? Because, you know, they're dealing with the word of God all day, they're, they're saved, the Holy Spirit is working through them. These people are pre preaching the good news. But sadly, these particular people are not the most mature people around. In fact, they're fairly immature, narcissistic, and, and childish, which is too bad. And, but, I think one thing we can learn from this is that sometimes, even from somebody like that, somebody, even somebody that's immature, they still have something to say. These are still people that are preaching Christ. These are still people that are telling people about Jesus, that are converting people to the Christian faith. Um, Jesus in Matthew 23, 3 said, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, which means the, the scribes and Pharisees are teaching you the Bible. Therefore, all that they do, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Sometimes, uh, a, a pastor, a preacher, tells you the truth, tells you the word of God, but their life doesn't line up. And we need to have the ability and the courage and the hard work to be able to distinguish between those two and do as Jesus said, do as they say, but don't do as they do because they say things and do not do them. So the application I learned from this is that we need to learn, even from hypocrites, because sometimes a hypocrite has something to say because they're, they're speaking the word of God. And I don't say this lightly because I think this is one of the hardest things that we ever have to do, is try and learn from somebody that, that is a hypocrite or that, that is struggling in something that they're trying to teach others. The second thing that I learned from this passage to lighten things up a bit is that this is supposed to be funny like this is there's humor in this passage it's supposed to be a little bit of a goofy passage because these people are being ridiculous like how could they think that they're going to make ruin Paul's day by converting more people to Christ like it's silly uh, it's silly to compete about saving souls and Paul wins anyways because he's sitting there in prison and he's saying the gospel is being preached even more because I'm in prison, because some people love me in their preaching and some people hate me in their preaching. So either way, it's still my fault that they're preaching, so I win, you know, if you want to play that game. And there's this deep irony here that um, these people are trying to cause Paul distress, but really they're causing him joy. Because he says, I rejoice that Christ is being preached. 
And so there's a humor here that, that I think comes across. It's a little bit subtle, it's, it's ironic, um, but Paul in his cleverness is able to weave this together. And I think that we can learn something here because we all have people like this in our lives. Um, we have them in our workplaces, we have them in our extended family. Um, th there's people like this that, that you have to learn to deal with. And I think the lesson here is the best thing to do, sometimes the best thing to do with immature people is just to laugh. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend laughing in their face. Uh, that might not go over well. Um, but you know, when a child throws a temper tantrum and they're trying to control you through their emotions or through their lack of control, the best thing to do often is just to leave or to laugh or to not play their game, right? And with an adult, often the thing to do is to laugh, you know, maybe internally or you go home and, and you and your wife have a little chuckle. Um, to not play the game, you know, and laughter really is a protection, honestly. It, it's, you're being ridiculous, you know, and I'm not getting sucked into that. Because we could, we can get sucked in so easily. You know, Paul could have sat there in prison thinking, wow, man, these people, these people are trying to convert more people than me. Maybe I should do this or that so that I can convert more people. But then maybe I'm in competition with them, so maybe I shouldn't do anything. So that, but then if, if they convert more and I don't, and I'm not even trying, well, they think that I'm being generous to them. You know, you know how you get sucked into this sort of a, a thing. And what we need to do is say, God has called me to do this. I'm going to do it excellently. And if somebody is rejoicing with me, that's awesome. You know, and if somebody is threatened by my success, then that's ridiculous. You know, and, and I'm just going to laugh that off and I'm going to live my life. And these people tend to just fade away when you uh, don't give them power. So we need to learn to laugh at manipulation. Easier said than done if this person is really in your world. I don't mean to trivialize that, but I think that there is some help here um, in, in a sense of humor. The third thing that we need to learn, or that, that I notice in this passage, is that this whole section is completely unnecessary. Like if you're just looking for, for how the, the epistle unfolds, Paul didn't need to say this. These are, you know, again, he's, he says he's in prison, he wants to get out, that was the information. Now I want you to know, here's the facts about my life. And then he goes on about these people that he won't name, he's not warning them about false teachers. These are people far away from the Philippians, they don't know who they are, um, their actions will never impact the Philippians. Uh, and there, there's nothing that Paul says, here's what you should do about it. It's just, here's these people. Good people, bad people, the end. And so it, like, why is it there? It certainly wasn't just because Paul was up at two in the morning and, and on his Twitter feed and just blasted something off without thinking about it. That's not how communication happened in the first century. The way that they would have communicated then is Paul would have dictated, if they followed normal protocol, Paul would have dictated to a stenographer who would have written onto a tablet with wax on it, with a, a sharpened pencil, and then they, he would have had time to revise it, rethink it, change it a little bit, and then when he got it all correct on the t wax tablet, then the stenographer would take that and copy that painstakingly onto the papyrus, and the papyrus was very expensive, and of course this person's time to copy it all over was also expensive. It's possible Paul was able to do that, but there's strong indication that Paul had an eye problem. So likely he had to hire a stenographer that was 
it's mentioned in a few places as well that he, he mentions out his stenographer. So he had time to think about what he was going to say. So he wouldn't just throw in information that was completely irrelevant. What is this here for? And as I read this, I kind of thought it's kind of like a parent that tells their child about, you know, there's one time there's this boy that cried wolf, you know, and the end of the story, he got killed. Oh, that's an interesting story, Dad. One day there was this little girl walking through the forest with a red riding hood, and she talked to strangers and invited them into her home, and then she got eaten. Oh, interesting story, Dad. <laughs> what's, <laughs> where is this going? You know, like, sometimes you hear a story like that, and it's like, what's the point? Like, and you kind of get, oh, I'm the little girl. I shouldn't talk to strangers. Oh, I'm the little boy. I shouldn't be yelling when there's no problem. And I think this is kind of what Paul is doing here. He doesn't make it clear. He doesn't make it explicit. But he's saying, look, there's these two types of people out there. There's people that preach from goodwill. There's people that are motivated by love and motivated by the gospel. And then there's people that are petty and that are small-minded and that are immature. Just laying it out there. There's two types of people. And in chapter 2, he's going to talk very specifically about, he's going to turn, he's got other content in, in between, but he's kind of getting people's minds in this direction to say there's these two types of people. And then we'll talk about other things, and then we'll come back to say, each one of you should have this attitude that Jesus had. Consider one another as more important than yourself. And in chapter 3, as we're going to see, he's going to go right to the point and say, hey, there's two people among you, Yudia and Sintichi, that really need to, to listen to this. So the real reason Paul is giving these stories is that he wants to pull the Philippians' hearts and our hearts to consider the times that we are like this. Because it's always easier to point at somebody else and say, oh, look at their flaws, look at their problems. And especially when they're in authority, especially when they're in Christian authority, it's, it's easy to point out their flaws. And so Paul knows that he's, this is an easy catch. He, he's easily bringing them along. They know exactly what he's talking about. But he's going to bring it home in the next chapter. Because we need to ask the question, am I being like this? Am I being immature? Am I being self-centered? Am I being easily angered? Am I being all about me? And so my last challenge for us is to love well. How do you know that you are loving well? I think the best, uh, well, the best thing that I keep coming back to over and over to test my own heart is Romans 12, 15. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's a very simple test. Are you rejoicing when others rejoice? Are you weeping when others weep? When somebody in your circle of friends has a great big success and they do really awesome, is that a moment of rejoicing for you? Or are you, man, not so happy? When somebody stumbles and falls, is that a moment of, oh, I'm so sorry that you fell. Like, how can I help you? How can I get you back on your feet? Or is that a moment of, ha, well, I guess I don't have to feel so bad about that anymore because, you know, they've, they've embarrassed themselves and that makes me look good. Are we rejoicing with those who rejoice? Are we weeping with those that weep? When our heart is right, when God's love is in us, when we're, our eyes are on the gospel and caring about reaching people for Christ, then we're honestly going to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. So on that note, let's pray. Father, we know that you love us and sometimes um, we know that intellectually, but our hearts are far from you.
and we know that you accept us because of your great love for us. Just as a, a father looks at his child and just loves them. And yet sometimes our skittish, childish hearts want to run and, and compete with our siblings to try and prove to you that we are better than them so that you will love us. And I just pray that you would help us to rest in, you, in the security of your love and in the importance of your mission so that we can love one another well from the heart and that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep, as you taught us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.